0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello,
1: world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the radio show that really does go all over the world. And today I'm broadcasting from Sydney in Australia. I'm uh, sitting on the water's edge, looking across magnificent Sydney Harbour. It actually a big cruise boat that's just heading out through the heads to go somewhere. I'm not sure where. I'm in Australia for a couple of weeks visiting clients. And after 25 years in the US, it's still nice to get back here from time to time. Unfortunately, though, while I'm here, I'm visiting three states and have back-to-back meetings almost every day, so i not enjoying it quite as much as I could. Now, for those of you who may be listening for the first time, we're very proud of the fact that week after week after week, we bring entrepreneurs and small business leaders the latest information on what is happening around the world, information that they need to know and we're the number one radio show globally for entrepreneurs. And that's because over the last three years, we've interviewed over 150 of the world's top movers and shakers. We've interviewed people from 17 countries. We've answered over 400 email questions from listeners. And we are only just beginning. Now, last year, I interviewed a friend of mine who wrote and directed a wonderful movie called The Rocket. Um, set in Laos, and it opened in Los Angeles just this last weekend, and the Los Angeles Times Review says, the rocket soars at points. Kim Bodant's lao set anti-war drama, The Rocket, carries a touch of fable and a powerful sense of place in its melding of history's dark undertow and a child's optimism. It goes on to repeat that the story is a seamless melding of history's dark undertow and a child's indefatig... I can't pronounce the word. I'm reading the the quote from the LA Times. I can't read it. But the child's optimism. This movie's now won 29 awards, including three major awards in Berlin and three at Tribeca. Congratulations, Kim and Sylvia. Well done. I hope the opening weekend was fantastic for you. Now, in today's show, I'm going to replay my interview with Kim because I think it's such an important movie. And if you're in Los Angeles, I do advise you to head to the landmark New Art Theatre in West Los, West Los Angeles. It's a good little theatre, and I guarantee that you will absolutely love this show. But one of the reasons I'm playing the... Um, the clip again, or the interview again, is that it took him 10 years to, um, to get this movie together, to raise the funds, and to um, do all the work that needs to be done to achieve the final result. And that's the same with every entrepreneur. It doesn't matter whether you're in the film business or whether you have a new app. We all go through those same stages of getting the right people in place, the right ideas in place, the right money in place. So um, I think it's a very worthwhile interview from that perspective, and uh, I hope that it inspires you to go along to the um, New Art Theatre in West LA and, and see the movie. It is—I tell you what—if you go along and see the movie and you don't like it, send me an email and I'll refund you your entry price. There—that's how confident I am that this is a great movie. Now this show is all about saluting entrepreneurs. And I saw a great story during the week about Troy Carter, who discovered and cultivated Lady Gaga for almost seven years before Gaga dumped him. And when you see this guy, he looks like an underweight pretzel in oversized glasses. But I must admit, he wears very, very cool clothes. And, uh, And if I'd just been dumped by Lady Gaga, I'd probably hide in a corner somewhere, at least until people had forgotten about me but not Troy, every minute in his 18-hour days are jammed with meetings with corporate executives, music industry heavies, and people from all of the technology companies that he invested in. People regard him as a great manager, and if you look at Gaga's phenomenal success, even though she herself is a business dynamo, she's really smart. Troy played a very big part in that success. And for him, this was deja vu. When he was in his early 30s, he spent eight years building the Rapper Eve, only, again, to be cut loose unexpectedly. And this led to his house being foreclosed on, his cars repossessed, and leaving him with absolutely no money. This time it's a bit different. He's got five children, 31 staff, and uh, 30 million bucks in the bank. But... Um, He is a human dynamo, this guy. He's also got a great philosophy for entrepreneurs. He says, money doesn't make me tick. This definition of success doesn't make me tick. Managing the biggest stars in the world doesn't make me tick. Making my family proud of what I do is what makes me tick. I think that's great. Now, Troy, a bit like, Coocher uh, is a major investor in Silicon Valley. And uh, Troy's invested in more than 50 startups from Uber to Dropbox, just to name a couple of the really successful ones. And he's an absolute fixture on the tech scene. You know, there's this great meld between the entertainment industry, the music industry, and technology. And uh, he's been described as the best human bridge between Hollywood and Silicon Valley. You know, he's got a house full of platinum albums. He's got fame, truckload of money. That's pretty good for a kid who grew up dirt poor with no running water or bus money or anything in a drug-infested neighbourhood. Now, after experimenting with a management agency, which again left him unemployed and broke, he met a lady named Stefani... German Otter, although Def Jam Records had just dumped her, she was convinced she was going to change the music business, and change the music business she did. So they began experimenting extensively with Twitter and Facebook, and quickly realized that music sells absolutely everything except music. Then in 2009, he met a friend who was connected in Silicon Valley. He made his first tech investment. And as his profile in Silicon Valley grew, so did the opportunities. And several of these investments have turned into billion-dollar companies. Troy has changed the interaction between technology and music. He now wants to run that Gaga playbook that they developed to launch new brands through his Los Angeles-based company, the Atom Factory. In addition to the 50 tech projects, He now represents John Legend, Lindsey Stirling, and John Mayer. So as far as entrepreneurs go, Troy Carter is up there with the absolute best of them, and I'm a huge fan. This 41-year-old, who looks like a skinny college student, is a music and technology superstar. He started with nothing, never let disappointments stand in his way. He's always pushed the envelope as hard as he can, and he's surrounded himself with smart and successful friends. Most of all, he's always kept his feet soundly on the ground. Now, that is a great lesson for every one of us who, in most of our cases, pretend to be entrepreneurs. Good on you, Troy. Now, he's a guy who... um, I'd love to spend a day or two with so that I could learn a few things. A great story also came out during the week um, which highlighted one of the big problems facing the Internet of Things. As you know, almost everything is being interconnected through computers. It doesn't matter whether it's a toaster or a fridge or opening the blinds at your house or things in your car or traffic lights or insurance policies or controlling traffic going down freeways it's all going to be interconnected. Very soon, in only two or three years, we'll have 10 billion appliances and other gadgets all interconnected through computers. One thing I guess most of us hadn't thought of is that that gives hackers 10 billion new targets that they can hack. And last week, the very first wide-scale hack that involved television and refrigerators (laughs) was uncovered. This is the first cyber attack on the Internet of Things involving the botnet. And for those of you that have never heard of a botnet before, it's a series of computers that appear to be ordinary computers just functioning in people's homes and businesses, but are actually secretly controlled by hackers. In this case, I'm talking about hackers broke into more than 100,000 everyday consumer gadgets, such as multimedia centers, televisions, and refrigerators, and then used those objects to send out more than 750,000 malicious emails to enterprises and individuals all around the world. Over 200,000 of these emails were sent from home-hacked appliances. So the next time something goes really weird on your computer, don't blame your son or your daughter. It may well be your fridge or your toaster (laughs) that's causing you grief. Oh, God, the mind boggles, doesn't it? A piece of really good news during the week, particularly of those of us like me who may be diabetics, And, you know, there's a lot of diabetics around. It's anticipated, it's expected that there are about 400 million people with diabetes on the planet, and it's the fastest-growing disease in the world. So 400 million people. And it's really a struggle to try and keep your sugar levels under control. In fact, it's bloody near impossible. But scientists are now testing a smart contact lens that's built to measure glucose levels in your tears by putting a minute wireless chip and a miniaturized glucose sensor into your contact lens. This unit will also be able to generate a reading once every second. So it'll read your glucose once a second through your contact lenses. It also has a tiny LED light and every time your glucose level variation varies from... At an established threshold, it lights up. So, you know, you don't look like a um, set of headlights going to you, only you can see it in the contact lens, but you know that your sugars are out of whack. You know, it's amazing what they're doing now, particularly in the medical area, and there's no question that technology can turn around most, if not all, of the health issues on our planet Now, we love entrepreneurs on this program. This is all about helping entrepreneurs. And uh, as we discussed last week, one of the things that I love is Generation Next. They're the people between 14 and 30. You know, what I love is that they don't sit around and complain. They actually get off their ass and do something. Many of them are not out there looking for jobs. They go out there and create them, or they look for jobs for a little while, can't find one, so go and build their own business. You know, they're just as likely to become an entrepreneur as to keep looking for a job. So so with this generation, the next generation, or generation next, they create their own economy. They're a hundred and twenty cent 120% more likely to be business owners than the world at large. And 21% of college students and recent graduates start off businesses of their own as a result of the employment situation. That's incredible. I love it. You know, there's no future working for anybody. One, it's a pain in the ass. Two, they could constantly own you. Three, you're at the beck and call of everyone. You never get to go to your kid's graduation or, or... you know, events that happen during the week or assemblies or any of that, you miss all of those because your boss wants you at work. Being an entrepreneur, you work hard, but you can choose your own hours. But it's enormously rewarding. Frustrating, yes. Bit scary, yes. But rewarding. So let me just mention a a couple of Generation Nexts. Desiree Vargas-Wigley, and Ethan Austin, they're 28 and 29 years old. They understand how disempowering and expensive the disease can be for a family, as Desiree lost her grandmother to lymphoma, and Austin lost his father to colon cancer. So, in 2008, they each invested $25,000 to fund Give Forward, which is a not which is a for-profit social venture. Now, this enables individuals to create web pages to raise funds for any need at all. In mid 2013, give forward passed the five million dollar mark for funds processed and raised another five million by year's end. That is fantastic. That 10 million has gone to help other people who have health issues. So that's another thing I like about Generation Next. They have a very powerful community spirit, and I love it. Nicola Aurora and Alejandro Velez, both in their early 20s, discovered during spring semester at UC Berkeley that leftover coffee grounds can be used instead of soil to grow gourmet mushrooms. I'm not sure how they discovered this, but nevertheless, it's a pretty good discovery. So turning down consulting and investment banking jobs, they spent the summer training themselves to be urban farmers by watching YouTube videos. So with a $5,000 social innovations grant, the two started Oakland based Back to the Roots, a gourmet mushroom farm supplying restaurants and grocery stores. Very Cool. In 2010, they expanded with growing home mushroom kits that are now available in over 300 whole food stores. And this year, they will repurpose one million pounds of coffee grounds. That's a lot of cappuccinos. They're certainly proving that you can operate a successful and highly profitable business and still take care of your community, your environment, and your stakeholders. We at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we salute Desiree, Ethan, Nikhil, and Alejandro for showing us the true spirit of being an entrepreneur. Good on you guys. Love it. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and the whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to make you more successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of your business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will either answer it on air or I will email you directly. We're the number one radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. So no matter where you're listening on the planet today, we thank you very much. We really appreciate it. As I mentioned, coming up after the break is my interview with Writer and director Kim Mordaunt, it's an amazing film. The Rocket just opened in LA six days ago to absolutely rave reviews. It took 10 years to make, and Kim's story is very inspirational and shows the benefit and the rewards of never, ever giving up. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back With Kim in just a moment.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob
1: Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we talk to people who are really making a name for themselves in the world. And we try to find out what it is that makes them tick Now, this program's all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs, no matter what endeavor you're in, so that we can emulate those successes and encourage others to get off their ass, go out, and have a go. Now, a few nights ago, I went to the Los Angeles premiere of a movie called The Rocket at Raleigh Movie Studios. I'd never heard of the film, but I'd heard that there was some Oscar buzz about the movie in the foreign film category. Wow. What a surprise. It is an absolutely wonderful film set in Laos in Asia, for those of you who don't know where it is. It's an engaging, deeply personal story about Arlo, who is a really cute, determined, strong character 10-year-old who his family believed is cursed, and he has all the odds really stacked against him. Something I didn't know, but Laos is the most bombed country in the world ever. And the backdrop to this really gripping and heartwarming story is the tragedy of war of a war ravaged country that's embarking on massive change and like in so many of these cases, to the detriment of many of its people. The name of the movie, The Rocket It's derived from the most dangerous and most lucrative competition which consists of all the locals building giant rockets to send to the sky in order to encourage the heavens to provide much-needed rain. Arlo, in a last-ditch effort to prove that he's not cursed, builds a giant rocket and enters the competition. Now, the cast is excellent. The kid who plays Arlo is a former Laotian street kid whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to try, but he gives a really gutsy performance. His grandmother in the movie is perfectly cast. She's like everybody's grandmother. (laughs) And uh, the wonderful nine-year-old orphan Kia that Arlo befriends is terrific. And then there is the magnificent eccentricity of Uncle Purple, who's played by a veteran actor, and spends the movie channelling James Brown. I won't tell you any more about the film, because if you get an opportunity to see the rocket, I strongly suggest you do so. It is really terrific. But don't just take my word for it. As well as winning Best Feature, Best Actor in the Audience Award at the Tribeca International Film Festival, The movie has also won awards in the Netherlands, India, the Ukraine, Taiwan, Italy, Canada, England, Kosovo, Denmark, and in Australia. People, The Rocket is a really great movie. The Los Angeles Times said, If any Tribeca film this year merited the term breakout, it's this one. Don't be surprised if this one is in the foreign language Oscar conversation next year. It's a great movie. After the movie, as is my want, I was enjoying a nice glass of red wine, and I had the opportunity of having a chat with the writer and director of The Rocket, Kim Mordant, who, apart from being wonderfully talented, is one of the nicest, most down-to-earth, relaxed guys you would ever want to meet in the entertainment business. I mean, he's a real breath of fresh air. He's been frantically busy since he's been in Hollywood because the powers that be are taking notice. And Red Lamp Films, the production company that Kim founded with producer-writer Sylvia, here's another name I can't pronounce, but I'll have a go and and Kim can correct me, Wolzeski, Mm. (laughs) have two fiction features in development, both written by Kim. Despite being busy, Kim enthusiastically agreed to be on the show today. Kim, how are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show.
2: Hello, Bob. Thank you for talking to me.
1: It's a pleasure. Now, Laos is an amazing and a spectacularly beautiful country. I've actually been there. So what led you to write a movie that's totally situated in what many regard as a country that very few people know about? And how did your involvement with the country and its people develop into what comes across so powerfully in the film as a very affectionate relationship between you and them?
2: Um, well, it, it is affectionate, and I, I love the country. I love the people, Bob. And look, it all started a long time ago, about a decade ago, ten years ago. The producer Sylvia Wilczynski, Which, and myself—I wasn't that far wrong. <laughs> no, that was good. It was good. No, no, that was good. And you got my name exactly right. Oh, um, good. Yeah, but you know, we—we it—it does go back a long way. We were living and working in actually Hanoi. In uh, the north of Vietnam, 10 right. years ago, yep. we traveled to Laos a lot and just loved the country. It was like a, you know, breath of fresh air. It was serene. It was calm. People were very funny and fun and inviting. Mm. And we were having a drink in a bar one night and we met a bomb disposal specialist, as you do. Yes. And, uh, of you know, further beers were exchanged and, uh, he, he told us the story of the history of Laos, the secret war of Laos. Right. Which we had no idea about. We thought, My God, you know, we're educated people but we don't know about this and Australia was an ally in this war and you know, we'd learnt so much about the Vietnam War, but we didn't know about the secret war, which made it the most bond place on the planet per capita, as you said. And look, the the other thing was is that we thought, well, let's make a film. So we made a documentary called Bomb Harvest. Yes. And Bomb Harvest centered around a wonderful Australian character called Lace Stevens, who incredibly inspiring, brave ex-army man who's now working, or who was working at the time for Mines Advisory Group, a North English company clearing up the bombs in Laos. And, um, and he, it was, it was a great film and it got very good response around the world and in particular in America actually, played at the Margaret Mead and, uh, and also at the Artivists and won major awards. And um, and uh, the response to that film, really from the Lao community, who we'd already collaborated with a lot to make that film, was, well, um, this is a terrific film. We love Laith, but how about next time making it Lao protagonist in Lao? Right. And so we, we, you know, this is a big request. <laughs> we took yeah, a big, absolutely. big breath <laughs> and collaborated again with a woman called Pauline Puminda, who's Lao Australian. And she said, "Look, we, in Laos, we don't have a funded industry, so we're going to have to try and build this film out of Australia, um, and that's what we did. And Screen Australia took a leap of faith, and and uh, and so was born this film. But you know, it does come from a love of this country, and uh, and really feeling incredibly inspired by a place where which has been so hammered by war, but which is determined." To break cycles of hatred and to, to, to turn a darkness into something positive and very beautiful, which you'll see in the end of the film when you see it.
1: I've seen it. Yeah, okay, there we go. You've seen it. You know what it's, happens at the it, end. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's great. I love it, mate. If you win any any more awards, you'll have to get a bigger house.
2: <laughs> well, I've yeah. only got. I live in a tiny little place, so you know. Well, that'll change.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the most appealing aspects of the movie, from my perspective, is that sensational and, and really unique characters that you developed and that grew as the film progressed. You know, the more yeah. it went on, the more you felt that you could, you really started to relate to these people. It's not set in Hollywood where you can just call a casting session and a hundred actors turn up. (laughs) How did you find such amazing characters in a country with no film industry and with the lead roles taken by, essentially, people with no
2: experience? Well, look, it it, it was a very, very long casting process and it began with me and Sylvia trailing around Laos, um, doing workshops in schools talking to tuk-tuk drivers and in fact we made a promo where we you know we, we were just literally drawing people out of marketplaces and um you know on the streets and temples and so we've been traveling around a lot and trying to get intimately involved you know going to schools yep. and meeting teachers and uh, heads of community and so we've been looking a long time and then we also started working with a casting agent in thailand whose favorite pastime is to walk the hills of burma and lao and Thailand, and she's an extraordinary woman, non-Jungamaya. And, um, and it was a mixture of just searching and searching, and eventually we came across this little boy, Sikipon uh, Disamur, or his nickname is Guy, who plays Arlo. He's wonderful. Oh, uh, he's wonderful. And, you know, like, he, he just kind of w- waltzed into the screen test and he was eating because he was hungry because he'd been a street kid for two years, and um, and he was wonderful, and he, he kind of basically said he could do anything. And I, I love telling this little story. I remember saying to him, Key, can you swim? Because there's this swimming scene in the film. Right. And he said, I can hold my breath underwater for half an hour. <laughs> 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 I love and, it. And like, he was just that kind of kid, and of course we couldn't swim he didn 't know how to swim, so we spent <laughs> the next three months giving him swimming lessons and uh, and But he was that kind of kid who just would make things happen and was determined to survive and and totally lovable you know like yeah, a, a, a really to... good human being in yeah. there as well and And as he started to align his life to the story, really, um, it, you know all the emotion came, and it was deeply moving for me from right from the beginning. Hmm. Yeah. So, the rest of the cast? rest of the cast? Okay, we've got the little girl. She was, uh, again, we looked far and wide, and in the end we found her in a little drama group who was sort of doing puppetry and improvisation on the edge of Vientiane, the capital of Laos. Yeah. And uh, it was her eyes that got me. Literally, she lived through her eyes, and she was tough as well. She could kick a ball as high as any boy and, uh, and also didn't care about the camera. You know, she'd right. pick her nose while the camera was rolling and just didn't care. She was who she was, and I right. love that about her. Uh, something very pure. And so that was her. And the mother, who plays um, Marley, who plays the boy's yeah. mother, Alice gyarha Long, I also did auditions in the Lao Temple in Western Sydney, So, look, this this casting has gone on all around (laughs) many countries and over much time, and Alice was terrific. She hasn't done a big role before, uh, but she was very loving, and I could see very good with kids. I could see we're going to be able to build a family with her and very strong, and I won't give it away, but she has to to do something pretty amazing at the beginning of the film. Yep. And rival grandma, which brings me to grandma. Grandma is Bunty (laughs) Indy. And she started acting when she was 50. So, wow. you know, all you people out there who are turning 50, go out and become an actor. It's not too late. <laughs> and uh, she's wonderful, very strong, but also incredibly funny. Just has got this turn of phrase uh, and wit that a lot of the Lao people have. It hmm. comes from a very dark place, but they are funny. And I think that's why Australians and Americans get on well with Lao people. Yeah. Um, this incredible whip. And then there was um, Dad yeah. um, and Samrit Waran, and he basically was a man. He'd never done a, a role like this before in his life. So he would play, you know, the dead guy or being shot and then being dead, yeah. and that's about it. Day job is cleaning windows in Bangkok on skyscrapers. So he's one of those little dots you What's see that? going down the side sort of a skyscraper. Those <laughs> idiots that hang off buildings. <laughs> That's it. Jeez. And uh, he's he, look, he's wonderful. He had to do this sort of unspoken internal part. Yeah. And uh, he's very good. And then, of course, Uncle Purple. Uncle Purple is sensational. Uncle Purple. Now he's our veteran actor, and we knew this from the beginning. We're going to. It's a complex role, full of contradictions. Full of layer upon layer of of history of himself, of the country. And we had an actor, we approached an actor called Tep Thornam. And Tep is, um, he actually lives in Bangkok now. Right. Which was kind of right for the character, because the character is deeply spiritually loud, but at the same time, um, as this part of himself that is really kind of popular American culture, yep. and the best of popular American culture, you know, Mr. James Brown.
1: Absolutely, I agree. <laughs> now, I, just, I just got a very a, a quick, a quick aside while you. Yeah, yeah, go for that. it. What was going through your mind when you created Uncle Crazy. Purple? Do you sort yeah. of get up in the middle of the night and take drugs or something?
2: Me, <laughs> no. I'm a dad. I can't do that stuff anymore. You know, I've got a six-year-old. I have to behave. But uh, no, it's um, wonderful really good, character. and so is, unusual. Yeah, he, and he's he's quite mythical in a way. And look, he is based off a real person. Whilst I was making the documentary Bomb Harvest, which came before the feature film, I was in a remote village on the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Laos. Uh, six hours from nowhere, yeah. trying to do interviews about uh, you know people who had lost limbs from bombs, and from a hut behind me is this music and popular American music, and I think, oh God damn, this scene, I'm never, never going to get this interview done. <laughs> and then out of the hut, one is this man in a purple suit, holding a ghetto blaster and plastered on rice wine. And I then found out that this man (laughs) hadn't taken off his suit for many, many years, never, slept in it, walked in it, everything, bathed in it, uh, never took it off. And when I walked away from that place and we were scripting later on, he just kept coming back to me. What an extraordinary character. And really, you know, I thought, well, this is interesting because the Hamong, which the character is a part of a people called the Hamong, very strong uh, bright people—they um, actually fought on the side of the CIA during the Secret right. War, right. and that's what gave me the idea. I thought, well, this is really interesting—is we've got this little kid who's considered cursed, who needs a mentor. You know, his father's, his family's receding from him as they think he's cursed and yeah. as they think he's causing problems. And he needs someone else, and he finds this man, Purple. Who is also marginalized because he fought on the wrong side. Right. And, but at the same time has this great spirit in this part of American popular culture. Mm-hmm. So it's really about these two marginalized, dysfunctional people coming together and heading off on this journey. So that's really where that character came from. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people who <laughs> loves
1: marginalized, out there, weird people. You know? Absolutely. The, the, yeah. the people that are just homogenous, yeah. leave me cold. Now, yeah, I've just lost right. half my audience. But <laughs> nevertheless, um, when, when you're um, out in the middle of Laos and you're looking for a kid and you go to yeah. a school yeah. and there's lots of kids and they're all bubbly and bright because kids are, what, yeah. um, what's the first thing you look for? What, what's the first thing that says, aha,
2: you're worth talking to more? Oh, look, it, it's hard to put that into words, but I think what it is is just they—they they have a weight to them. So you're looking at all these kids, and and, and you know you're looking for life, obviously. You're looking sure. for the playfulness in a person, the the irreverence, yeah. uh, anything anything that is kind of pushing out and and annoying the world. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, and then you also, you know, for me, I look for something that has there's a weight in there and you don't quite know what it is because you don't know the person but you're thinking that there's this there's you can always tell you think that this person's been through something and they've survived and there's something in there that is very strong but very hurt all in one yeah and for me that is kind of the essence of Good storytelling as well, and great characters, great heroic characters as well, great heroic Hollywood characters. Yep. Is the, the best ones all come, come from a place which you know has had to sort of survive adversity or been through some deep hurt and have come out the right. other end, and there's something in there that's humming away. So look, it's it's hard Cold to put character. it. It's cool character, you know, but but it's hard to put it into words. But I think that's kind of what it is.
1: Okay. Now you've got a history of making documentaries and movies that are powerful social commentaries. It, I've read that you've taught filmmaking and drama in Asian, Arabic and Aboriginal communities and have been a filmmaking mentor in refugee centres and prisons. Where does this passionate desire to highlight injustice uh, um, come from? Do you have a family history of activism or uh, life experiences at, led you there? or You met a girl me. who was a hippie? <laughs> all
2: three <laughs> definitely all three yeah no look it, it's a bit of a, you, it's, it's amazing you just kind of pretty much summed up my life then <laughs> in a nutshell but yeah look it's, it's all three i i think um you know i, I had a pretty chunky early family life yeah and my mother's actually mauritian indian Yes. So you know, from a non-English speaking background, and she was a migrant, and at a time she was a migrant at a time actually in England before I moved to Australia, where you know England wasn't a nice place to be if you were a new migrant. Yep. It was a, it quite quite a not 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 a good time. So you know, I experienced as a child seeing her very marginalised, and uh, and she got quite sick and. I had to as a child look after her and uh, blah 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 you know the things that all us human beings carry around sure. with us and and then um, you know also my father was a, a documentary filmmaker okay and and he look he at one stage he threw it all in and he became a farmer and I grew up more, more or less on a farm but in his <laughs> y- younger days he was a filmmaker and he's now returned to filmmaking and he's you know 74 yeah, <laughs> but, that's good. but it's still, still very active and you can't stop him But so you know of course there's that part of, of, of my family that I've inherited and my mum uh, you know was a painter and sociologist and so I, I've always been fed with got a great with, background yeah it was yeah. good stuff and 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 then as you said was your girlfriend a hippie well <laughs> um, you know you know growing up young in australia i was surrounded by by you know those young activists and yeah, I, people I trying to to stimulate your brain so you know really you pretty much hit the nail on there that was that's all three <laughs>
1: okay well yeah. i know that you're pressed for time so yeah i believe you now have a hollywood agent and now that the powers that be are taking you seriously yes, you're getting lots of good. opportunity coming your way
2: um, look, there's, there's quite, there, there, I'm being fed some really interesting screenplays and meeting extraordinary people who to be honest I never thought I'd meet in my lifetime sure. so I, I feel very humbled and very lucky to be you know, doing this right now so, uh, yes, things have been really exciting. It's just a matter of finding enough minutes in every day I to understand. continue with my own work and to look at other people's work. Now, Dan, um, Dan, and, would you
1: prefer yeah, to do your own work or other people's work?
2: Uh, both. Look, I, I, I'm, I, keep, I will always keep doing my own work uh, because I, I am a writer and, you know, these things come to my mind. Uh, stories are just a natural part of my brain. Hmm. Um, but having said that, I'd love to collaborate with other people and there are extraordinary stories around the world that people are, are, are pulling out of the globe and, and trying to translate into cinema. So Great. both, I'd, I'd like to do both if possible.
1: Now your production company in Red Lamp Films, you've got two fiction yeah. features, the thriller Zigzag and the action yeah. romance Pink Mist in development. When do yes. you anticipate that they will make it to the screen?
2: Um, I can't say. You know, it, it, it comes yeah. down to... I'm, I'm writing Pink Mist at the moment and working with another writer, Howard Jackson, on Zigzag. No. And so it's, it's just a matter of... of a when whole bunch the, of things falling into place. Oh, and, and finding time. You know, at sure. the moment I'm reading so much material, it's about also finding time to write. So it's hard to say, but I'm, I'm hoping there'll be... The financing will start in about... Uh, you know, maybe eight months' time, seven months' okay. time for Pink Mist, but right. uh, then it's a long process. But hopefully sure. not as long as it was before. <laughs> no, <laughs> ten years in the making—that's a while. Yeah, Kim, that's right.
1: Thank you very much for bringing us such a great movie, Pleasure. and much more importantly, for being one hell of a nice guy. One thing I I didn't mention, but I know you'd press for time, and I just wanted to say quickly: um, Kim also has set up a. Um, uh, Foundation for Assisting Kids in Laos, which I think, you know, we were talking last week about the importance of people who are successful giving back and too little of it happens. And um, so good on you for that. And, you know, you're just one hell of a nice guy and I, I have no doubt that we're going to hear and see a lot more of you in the near future. And I, for one, look forward to the next Kim Wadant project. And, uh, and if you'd like to know more about Kim and the Rocket go to therocket-movie.com that's therocket-movie.com and do yourself a favour take someone you love out to dinner and into this movie I guarantee you that you'll come out raving about it just like I did this is Bob Pritchard and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard radio show on Voice America Business and I'll be back in just a moment
0: comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely no bullshit business show coming to you this week from the shores of Sydney Harbour. Now, I don't know how many of you have been to Sydney, but the harbour really is beautiful. I spent late yesterday afternoon on the harbour with a group of people that um, I haven't seen for a long, long time because I've been living in LA for 25 years and uh, it was very enjoyable cruising around and eating shrimp and drinking lovely wines with great company. So to the members of the entertainment debonairs in Sydney, thank you very much for your fabulous hospitality yesterday. And we also want to thank you, all our listeners from all over the world, for the great response we receive with um, our email segment where we answer emails from our uh, from all our listeners. The reason this segment's popular, I think, is because irrespective of the size of your business, no matter what your business does or no matter where in the world you are, we all have the same issues. We all face the same challenges. And it doesn't matter whether you're in retail, whether you're a plumber or a painter or whether you run an auto repair shop or you've just developed a new app. You you have the same issues. So I might be answering an email from an owner of a company that um, installs window frames, the answer to that question will probably also apply to you in your business. And don't forget, if I do read your email on air, I'll send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, and this will give you the 15 absolutely invaluable keys that are required to make any business a success. You know, there, there are a lot of challenges in establishing and running a business, and a lot of entrepreneurs tell me that um, they have secret fears about establishing their own business. Well, that's, you know, that's pretty normal. You know, most of us are afraid of change, but I want to assure you listening that if you have a new business or you are thinking about starting a new business, you know you're not alone in what in in what you're thinking, and I'll give you a few comments from people who started companies and also a few from those who haven't quite had enough guts to give it a go. The first of these quotes is, "I just gambled the rent money on my startup business. It was either that or give up my dream." I like that quote because. You know, too many of us put money before achieving our dreams and realizing our dreams. And, you know, I would rather have a shot, go broke and rebuild my life than not have a shot and be in a miserable job that you hate for 50 years and regretting all the time that you didn't have a go at becoming an entrepreneur. I think that would be just awful. And I appreciate also that, you know, we've got spouses to worry about, and I, I, I do understand the pressure that it puts on spouses when you're out there having a shot at kicking the hell out of the world and, and they're worried about where the next dollar to feed the kids comes from. And, um, you know, some people probably look at that as being irresponsible, but I look at it as almost your duty to go out and achieve the best that you can for yourself and your family. And... um You know, so I applaud all entrepreneurs. Here's another quote. I started a business and even my mother thinks that I'm going to fail. (laughs) Oh, God. Just imagine imagine the pressure you'd be under. Well, hopefully, and in actual fact, mum was very wrong in this case. But, you know, we were talking this morning about... um, about dream takers people who always say you can't do it you shouldn't do it think of your responsibilities i know a hundred people that have done it and they've all failed therefore you'll fail accountants who are great at saying oh gee i wouldn't do that you know why don't you go out and get a job for 40 grand a year you know all that stuff tell them all to go to hell you know just ignore them they just take away people's dreams here's another quote I am so afraid to leave the job I really hate for a new business venture. My need for a secure paycheck absolutely disgusts me. I love that. But Jesus, grow some cojones for Christ's sake. Get out there and have a go. Gee. And here's another one. I'm constantly afraid that my startup is about to go belly up. Well, that's a nice positive attitude in the morning. I'd be getting into work at 7 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock and I'd be working a little bit harder and thinking a little bit clearer and trying to find other ways to um, develop your business. That's a lot better than sitting there worrying and debilitating yourself. Here's another one. I'm constantly, sorry, making the transition for employer to employee sorry from employee to employer i'll start that again i really screwed it up making the transition from employee to employer is terrifying that's true it's damned hard to be a boss it is not easy but if you're nervous about going out on your own and starting a new business you're not alone and perhaps you may fail but even if you do, I reckon you owe it to yourself to give it a shot. Now, my first email today is from Eric McDonald of Pennsylvania, who writes, "Dear Bob, great show. I love your book. It has been a great help to me. My issue is that I have one staff member that is always late, is not enthusiastic, is always negative, and no matter how hard I try, I don't seem to be able to get him motivated." do you have any programs I can use to turn this around? Eric, I hate to say this, but the only way to change people is to change people. What you're seeing is your employees' nature. And no matter what you do or how hard you try or how much counseling you give this person, they are still going to be a negative bastard. So I would just paint little arrows on the floor that point to the front door and I would tell them to follow them. Don't put up with that for a minute. The problem with pl- employees that are not motivated and that are negative, they're like a cancer. You've got to cut them out before the negative attitude spreads to the rest of the staff. You know, just get rid of them. And get rid of them now. You need to let them go sooner rather than later. Give them a warning in writing, setting out your grievances so you're not going to get sued later, demand they change, and then proceed to get rid of them. You know, to be successful, a business needs everybody with the same passion and commitment. If you're not surrounded by people that come into work every day saying, wow, I've got a great idea. What do you think? Why don't we give this a shot? You need to get new staff. You will never ever go forward by getting people that are holding you back. And it's got to come from the top. Eric, it's up to you. And make sure that you've got every single thing to this employee in writing so that it can't come back and bite you in the ass later on. Since you've got a copy of Kick Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, Eric, I'm going to send you a copy of Marketing Magic. Now, this is a book that I wrote with um, Brian Tracy. Um, Jay Conrad Levinson, Robert Bly, and a bunch of others. It's a great book. I hope you, you like it. And don't forget, for those of you who spend a lot of time in your car, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets is available in audio book form. So get on to Amazon and uh, get yourself a copy. It really is a very helpful book if you're in business. Our second email is from Janet Janet McMurtry is a business consultant in Chicago, and Janet writes, Dear Bob, like you listened to last week, I too am a graphic designer and enjoyed your interview with the guy from Chicago. I forgot his name, but it's a very hard market for us right now. There's less work, and our prices are getting squeezed to the bone. What can we do? I have already sent my portfolio out to everybody I can possibly find well, Janet, it's not an easy thing to accept when you're under real financial pressure. But, you know, even in these tough times, less than one good client in five buys on the basis of price. So, to 80% of your prospective customers, the quality of your work, your reliability, delivering when you say you will deliver, is so much more important. It's like gold. So in your communication with potential customers, stress these things. Even tell them that they're going to pay a little more. You will benefit in the long run. If you play that cut price game, you cannot get your prices back up after this tough time's over. You just won't be able to do it. And things are certainly on the upswing. I can feel it. In America particularly, things are really beginning to happen. You know, it's just got a feel and a smell about it. Another avenue that you can, should consider is Elance, E-L-A-N-C-E. If you're not using Elance, get on Google and just check them out. And for those of you who don't know what it is, it's a site where you can go to find people who will do work for you. It doesn't matter what it is. If you want to write a book about elephants, list it on Elance, and you'll get 50 people around the world who are experts on writing books on elephants. And it's incredibly inexpensive. You should certainly list yourself on Elance. You could get a lot of work out of it. So list yourself down, and you'll be surprised how many people contacted you. You know, I, I frequently use Elance. Start again. I frequently use Elance to find a number of services, such as graphic artists like you. And I detail what I require, and I usually get thirty to fifty submissions from people worldwide who send me their portfolios. Then. You know, you just decide on the best one. You know, usually small businesses need advice and they're not able to afford a consultant. And this is one of the reasons I'm part of a one-on-one advice program where you can Skype me and talk to me or one of my expert colleagues. So, you know, there are lots of opportunities out there. Janet, in a copy of my book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, is on its way to you. We're here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're all about helping small business. Don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website, bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter, another one in a couple of weeks. Email me, tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn, and tell me what it is that you want to talk to me about. So that's all from me today from beautiful Sydney, Australia. This is Bob Pritchard. And I look forward to being with you again at the same time next week.
0: You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.